Welcome to Soulful Connections. I'm Amanda Solar, host and creator of the podcast and SoulfulLiving.com. This is the place people will connect you to their stories, their journeys, and how they've found meaning in their lives. Join us. Let's connect. Let's talk about connection. So, Pete Guinoso, I am here with Pete Guinoso. You know, I've no so full disclosure. I grew up in the same neighborhood that Pete lived in. We probably haven't seen each other up until now. Like I don't, I was probably like fourteen or something. I think. You know, it's not like we were hanging out at eighteen, right? No, no. I think I saw you at your door when I was trying to sell. Um, what were those Easter seals for the nativity oh, okay. of our Lord? <laughs> I walked okay. around the neighborhood and you had to answer the door and you said, I'll go get my mom. <laughs> <laughs> A typical response when somebody's doing Easter seals. Yeah, Isn't right. it funny, Pete, that now who even knocks at the door? It's so rare. Know, You'd be right. like, what's happening? <laughs> totally. But, but it has been a long time. It's very good to see you, Amanda. And Pete. I've yeah. discovered something in my podcast uh, interviews, and it is that I say people's name incorrectly, and I'm in full confidence. So, Guinoso, Guinoso. That's that's good. Okay. Uh, yeah, Guinoso is good, or Guinoso. Which do you works. say? I say Guinoso, but my parents say Guinoso, so <laughs> I yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just interesting because. I started realizing, wow, I don't even know how to say people's names that I've known forever. I just assume I'm right. So anyway, I rediscovered or we reconnected through Facebook and Pete, I saw um, what you were doing with yoga and I'll ask you about that. And I just felt you're so inspiring, you know, from mm. a distance, I just, I find you really inspiring and I'm so happy with where you landed in your life. It looks like you're in California. Your wife looks interesting and beautiful from my Facebook, you know, perch. Yeah. <laughs> and you have this gorgeous child and everything just looks great. So welcome. Thank you. It's very good to be here and connect, connect with you. Um, And so Tell me about your practice first and foremost. Like, so what are you doing? You're teaching yoga. Yeah. Um, so just briefly, because I'm not sure you want to go here just yet, but I, when I um, was in the neighborhood, I actually left there and went to college, went and got my bachelor's in science degree and became a biologist. Do you want to go there? Oh, sure. Good... Yeah, I do want to go there. And then uh, I came back and I was looking for a job. Uh, and it turns out that Merck, I actually work in, in academia for about a year in biology. I was working a lab, as a lab tech and I got hired at Merck shortly after that as a biologist. And actually spent 14 years working for Merck um, Pharmaceuticals. And um, just briefly, I'd heard about how great California was. It was a big outdoor fan, I used to mountain bike and camp and, um, 
and just loved being outdoors. And so my friends told me to check out California. I took a job transfer out to California to sell for pharmaceuticals. And, and that was 98. In 2000, I moved up to Northern California. I started practicing yoga because I was mountain biking. I was running. I was doing marathons, half marathons. And uh, and uh, my body was starting to get hit, which is it was a lot for my body. It was, it was in my early 30s. And I started doing yoga. And yoga started transforming me way, in ways I wasn't really expecting. Um, just, you know, physically first, but then mentally and emotionally. And I would say even spiritually. And uh, I, in 2006, I did a teacher training. I, I left work and did a teacher training with this woman named Anna Forrest. And some of you know Forrest Yoga. And um, and actually, 2003, I did a Buddhist 10-day sit meditation. Some of you know Goenka, Goenka-style insight, Vipassana meditation. And that's been pretty much my journey. It just kind of changed my world. It just made me look at things in different ways. And, and it, it, uh, it helped heal me in many, many different ways. And so... Uh, now I've been teaching for 16 years, and I have um, I have a, a business doing yoga, uh, and it's been really quite a blessing. And yoga became my my life's um, purpose, my my dharma, my my path. So okay, that's so interesting because here you are in the world of science, right? Yeah, yeah. And what drew you to yoga? Were you already in California when you were drawn to yoga? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I, when I, I ran cross country to Archbishop Wood High School for boys, <laughs> I graduated in 86, but uh, the, the coach there was having us do some uh, type of yoga poses. I didn't know that there were yoga poses, um, but primarily, yes, I found, and my brother, you know, it's funny, uh, Amanda knows this, but I have four, I have three brothers, there's four boys in my household, and we used to, I never forget, like when we were little, kind of making fun of yogis by going om, you know, sitting in like a yep. cross-legged position and going om, you know. And sure enough, I'm, I'm here. I am now providing space for that. But yes, I found yoga pretty much in like 2000 uh, because my bot, my knees were t uh, hurting, my hips were super tight from all the running and cycling, and my I mean, I, now I know what was going on. My psoas was super tight. My hamstrings were tight. And it was kind of pulling my body. My lower back hurt. And so I just started. Uh, everyone kept on telling me how great yoga was. And I, you know, being an athlete, I was also a wrestler for 10 years. I ran cross country, did all these things. Uh, everyone told me how great yoga was. And I was just like, oh, that's, that's, that's for, you know, I, that's too easy. I want something that's really hardcore. And then I went and did yoga. And there's so many different yogas out there. And I went and did our yoga that really kicked my ass. I'm just like, oh, okay, this is the kind of yoga I like. I, this sounds cool. And so that, it was in 2000. And I was kind of slow to start up yoga. I was a little bit, um, you know, I wasn't necessarily sure about it. I, I was dating a yoga instructor, actually. I met her through some friends and started taking her class. And she asked me what I thought of yoga. And I said, oh, it's a great workout. And then um, I started practicing it more regularly and with more intention around it. And then um, it, it changed into something that has a lot more meaning to me in my life. And I think if you talk to most people, that's kind of what happens. Most people come to yoga because of the physical practice, but then it, they, it, it provides something so much more. And it's really hard to quantify what, what that is. Mm -hmm. I know you've done some meditation and yoga and it's like, yeah. you know, how do you, how do you describe what happens when you meditate? You know, it's just like, uh, I don't know how is it? The, the best way to her describe that, you know, being raised Catholic, um, um, 
prayer is when you talk to God. Meditation is when you listen. So I think about that as yoga as well. It provides yeah. a platform to be able to listen to what God, God has to say. And I say that in quotation marks, God can be anything for you. Right. Right. I feel like your meditation is entering the space of pure potentiality because mm. you're, you're kind of leaving your logic. you I feel like our brains only tap into like this one little section. Um, so we're on a loop if we don't escape it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. The, the, that loop is really interesting. Cause I, I think about that a lot, like, uh, the loop, um, in, in, um, in Buddhism, there is the uh, the Buddha talks about it being the grooves. Have you heard about the the grooves the the grooves that are made? A little bit, but go go into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've heard it described as uh, sankara or samskars. Mm -hmm. It's it's the groove, um, and the I, this is like fascinating because science has proven this. And I, I call Buddha, uh, you know, who created Buddhism as well as Pantajali, who was the author, you know, and there's some question about whether or not he was the only author about the yoga sutras that are written 2,500 years ago that are the basis yes. of what we're practicing now. Um, uh, you know, these, these people that come before us, these gurus, these teachers were actually behavioral scientists. They were the first behavioral scientists. They sat with what was happening in their mind and body and their, in their emotional body. And they went, hmm, this is causing me some suffering. And what should I do about that? And so the yeah. loop thing is is fascinating because uh, when we do something over and over again, the Buddha likens it to being a groove in our brain. And so that groove is like a wagon wheel crossing or crossing over um, a um, a dry um, road, you know. And and so like uh, if you like, for example, if you drink just a little bit every once in a while and that's like a groove going over your brain it's no big deal uh it won't really cause too much damage to the trail and to the brain uh and then but if you keep doing it over and over again those grooves get really deep in the brain they become something that impacts you and create suffering in your world so yeah. um you know that loop is what what is truly happening for a lot of us right we kind of get into a, a for example a bad relationship and and we just keep doing it over and over again. It could be a bad relationship with alcohol, it could be a bad relationship with food, it could be a bad relationship with a partner, uh, it could be work stuff. And if we don't take a look at it, like you said, through yoga or through meditation, uh, if we don't stop and kind of take a look at it and observe that, we don't even notice it's going on, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. we can't do anything about it. So I think of yoga and meditation as a really just really a profound tool for us to be able to look at our stuff and, and also start putting in place some tools to deal with uh, what's, what's happening in our world, what's causing us suffering. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, you're making me think too, I think the way we were raised, you always thought you could mm. intellectualize your way out of a problem or out of a pattern. And sometimes yeah. your intellect is, is just not your friend. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, being raised Catholic too, you know, I don't necessarily, I don't want to bash Catholicism, but, right. and I think there's a lot of great things about Catholicism, but, you know, the Old Testament, thou sh the Ten Commandments, which are really profound. There's, there's aspects of that in Buddhism as well as yoga, but th thou shalt not never really did, did work for me in some aspects. It's like thou shalt not covet 
the cute girl in eighth grade. It's like, right. mm, you know, like, you know, like, right. and he, and then you go to, then you go to church and you try to ask for forgiveness, you know, God grab, you know, the whole, the, um, yep. uh, what was the whole prayer? Do you remember oh, that prayer? I know that one. You know why? Because you yeah. have to say, Lord, yeah. I am not worthy yeah. to receive you. Is it that one? I, yeah. I always tell the kids I grew up at least once a week, maybe more saying I'm not worthy. And yeah. that's pretty damaging. Yeah. I think. Right. Yes. <laughs> you, you think? Yeah. So, um, so you go, you go to, if you, those of you who aren't Catholic, you go to confess your sins. Um, um, bless me father for I have sinned. It has been, you know, a month or, you know, since my last confession, these are my sins, which I think is actually pretty good. It's like reflecting yeah. on kind of where you might've gone off the path. I think it's not a bad idea. The, the 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 skills that are given to you is like okay well you must say three Hail Marys and don't do it again and like that never really that never gave me any tools to work with it so I feel like yoga and Buddhism are really tools for us to work with our, the problems that are coming up for us in the world and and yeah. and I mean there's other things obviously there's therapy uh, there's you know there's other ways we can approach this but these are two of the two of the ways that I've worked through my stuff yeah yeah um, and where kind of so here you are also you're very athletic you're one of four boys which i just think you know that's a lot for <laughs> <laughs> you know um and everything is sports and science yeah. and then you discover um you discover this kind of life of inner reflection because it, I guess yoga works from the outside in. I guess that's how it, it moves. Um, it moves us in. And how does that relate to the thing that you and I talked a little bit about purpose? You know, do you operate from a place of this is my purpose? Do you tend not to think yeah. about it? Where does that fall in your life? Well, I, I mean, just... I, I guess before we jump into there, I want to like you and I talked a little bit about before about how important it is for us to be to be able to find our purpose <laughs> in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, I um, you know, I, I thought science was my path. I was making a lot of money working for Merck. I um, I worked in research at first, but then my made my shift into manufacturing. I actually made the chickenpox vaccine. And then wow. I took I took a journey toward more money and also exploration, which was getting into sales. And um, I felt like, and I, I'm sure this is true for a lot of people listening to your podcast, maybe even for you of kind of your your exploration about kind of who you are. You you feel, you feel like, oh, this is all right, but it doesn't. I, something's kind of missing. I, I don't really know how to explain it. Yeah. And uh, you, you kind of start exploring other ways of being in the world. You know, it's like, um, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like you're kind of always open to kind of what's happening out there. You kind of have to have a beginner's mind. And so, um, you know, when um, I wasn't necessarily planning on teaching yoga, I, I went and did that teacher training in 2006 and I came back and I, this is a kind of a funny story. I, I you know, I was a, a top sales performer. I have a science background and I would go into these job interviews expecting to get a job again, but I kept on talking about how they would ask me what I thought my hobbies were and what I did on off days. I'm like, well, I, I love yoga. And, and they, they looked at me and this is like, you know, 2006, 2007, they were kind of looking at me like, 
wait, who are you? Because I mean, yoga wasn't really that big back then. And so I'm right. walking, I'm walk, walking to a business environment. They're just like, you don't really fit the mode, uh, mold about how we want, you know, we want people to work for us. And uh, literally, uh, you know, it was, I, I, I started teaching yoga during that time and I was getting so much out of it. That it was hard for me not to talk about it because I was just like, people really appreciate um, just, you know, providing a space for people to feel, you know, Anais Nin has a really beautiful quote. She said, people will forget what you said. People forget what you've done. They will never forget about how you made them feel. And for me, that has a lot of resonance in my heart. It's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, I want to help people to feel in, in a really neat, authentic way. And at first, when they start feeling, maybe they don't feel so good. They're just like, oh, I got like lots of aches and bang, pains in my body. Oh, and once I get past aches and pains, I'm starting to feel the ache in my heart, or I'm starting to feel. Um, but that gives, once we get a chance to get people to feel, um, we actually get a chance to do something with it. And so, when I was in that space, um, what, um, leaving working in pharmaceuticals to teaching yoga, it felt like something, a, a bright light was kind of lit up for me and things kind of made more sense to me. You know, it, it provided a safe space, a, a space for me to become more of service to people and uh, to help people. And by doing so, helping myself, you know, I always tell my train, my yoga teacher trainees, uh, there's no separation between the healer and the healed. When we provide a space for other people to heal, we're provided, providing a space for ourselves. And um, and so um, that's kind of how I, I found my dharma. And I, I wanted to share a quote from you. Uh, and I'll, I'm going to hit up what dharma means in a second. But this beautiful quote by Paul Quillo, uh, some of you might know. He wrote, I'm pretty sure he's the guy who wrote The Alchemist. <laughs> he's mm -hmm. written a bunch of books. Um, and it's so perfect because, you know, um, you know, the alchemist is, a, is a, is a story about finding your purpose, right. In a really big, right. deep way, profound way. Uh, but he says, maybe the journey isn't so much about becoming anything. Maybe it's about unbecoming everything that isn't really you. So you can be who you were meant to be in the first place. <laughs> I really <laughs> so love that. It's I like, really love that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I, I feel like yoga and meditation is this journey about where, oh, okay, these, this isn't me. What's I picked this up, you know, you mentioned um uh about how you're not worthy. How like that's not I, I am worthy. I'm worthy of God's love. I'm worthy of of well-being. I'm worthy of having a good job. I'm worthy of love of my life. Like that what what's that about? That's interesting kind of programming. That's yes. not really you. You know, um, and so um, Dharma means a lot of different things. I don't want to you can stop me if you want to ask questions, obviously, but just briefly, Dharma means a lot of different things. It's a Sanskrit term. Uh, it means law and duty. Um, and in Hindu philosophy, it means purpose uh, or role in life. Can, uh, and it can also mean responsibility. So I think that's important to kind of do, like to point out, like, my dharma, my life's unique purpose of own life is really to teach yoga. But I also have a dharma of being a good husband uh, of, to Stephanie, my wife. I have a dharma of being 
uh, Papa to Quinn, my four and a half old. I have a dharma responsibility of being a good role model to my yoga community. And that means not effing that up in whatever way you can, <laughs> you can yeah. F up being a yoga teacher. So <laughs> anyway, yeah. I'll, I'll pause there and, and see where do you want to take the conversation? Well, hey, that's very interesting. I didn't know that about dharma. And I will say, as I'm listening to, I'm thinking, wow, you know, your Catholicism and your science background actually make a really great background for who you mm-hmm. are yeah. honestly yeah. you know I, I do think that that way that we were raised in in the catholic faith you you at least did think of larger themes in our life right that was part of yeah, right. childhood and then the science would kind of put a lot of the pieces together underneath it so that is very interesting um when you were younger were these kind of topics in your house? Did you talk about yogis or philosophy? Was that a typical part of your upbringing that you had to reach back into? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I think um, when I look back on it, um, there are two main things that I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, one is I was an altar boy at a very, very early age. I used to I remember talking to my mom into taking me to Wednesday morning or early morning masses at 6 a.m. I don't know how often that happened, but somehow I got her. I was like, you know, maybe eight years old or six years old. And I say, mom, I want to go to church. Mom was like, okay. And so we go to church early in the morning, like six in the morning. And again, I'm not sure how often that happened. And so at one point I thought I might become a priest. And then I kissed my first girl and I found out that you're not supposed to kiss girls when you're you're a priest. So I shifted away from that. And then at a certain point, I actually thought about becoming a doctor. And that was one of the reasons why I took the pathway towards science. But then I partied way too much in college uh, and drank way too much beer. And so um, uh, I I settled back a little bit around science. But I I think you're right. I think, you know, I think... um, I think they they kind of meld kind of pretty well together because yoga is kind of like this and Buddhism like this is a science of the spirit or science of the heart or science of connecting to the divine. (laughs) And so it's like, it's really interesting to find myself in this path because in some ways that my, I was being pointed in this direction my whole, my whole life, even though, you know, you don't, you don't really notice the the signpost. It's kind of like, you're right. It's they're they're like the building blocks or whatever. They really are. It just takes a while. And when you're in it, you don't see it. What about, um, you know, where do you seek inspiration now? Because I also think, I think there's a lot about people who are dedicated toward yoga because I, I'm a, I've throughout my life been a very sporadic yogi <laughs> yeah. and consistency is really always stunning to me. Um, how do you remain consistent? Are you always feeling committed to this journey? Do you always feel it? And where do you seek inspiration? Uh, and that's a really, really good question. You know, um, I started practicing yoga in about 2000 and um it, at a certain point along this path, for many years, I was practicing five to seven times a week, sometimes three hours a day, sometimes twice a day, getting my meditation practice and, in the morning, uh, going 10 days, you know, just really focused on the asana practice. And then 
when I started doing uh, trainings, when I started teaching people how to teach yoga, I took a deep dive into the yoga philosophy and Buddhist philosophy and started kind of finding things that would help support people on their journey about learning about yoga and meditation. And then I have, uh, you know, I mentioned a four and a half year old and, um, you know, I'm not sure if I, you have a couple of kids, so you know how much time it takes <laughs> going toward uh, putting efforting toward raising a little ones in your life. Yep. And so <laughs> that shifted <I> my, <laughs> my practice up quite a bit. And, and now I, you know, get a little bit of yoga practice in asana practice, but a lot of my yoga practice is actually um, working with um my daughter quinn and my wife stephanie and and our struggles to um be connected to each other and be connected to caretaking each other and ourselves and quinn and yeah. deep breaths when goes into a tantrum and and trying to figure out uh, the best ways to support uh our relationships and so um there's the, the first yoga sutra and the yoga sutras are written 2500 years ago i mentioned that um the first yoga sutra is and and it can be translated in many different ways but the one the one translation i like and now the practice of yoga begins and when we think about the practice of yoga being not necessarily an asana practice but taking a deep breath when we're triggered in any way when we're working with uh, a challenging moment when we're watching the sunset there's these moments where we're actually practicing what I call the real yoga, the yoga that takes place within. And, and so my yoga practice is to, has been taken off the mat and into the world in a really big way, uh, raising a four and a half year old and, and, and trying to find some groundedness in a crazy, crazy time. I yeah. totally understand that. And I know that sometimes um, if I don't have time for like a meditation, I say, well, my presence for the, person within my family or people who need me in that moment yeah. is my practice you know yeah 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 and that, um, that's this gifts we can give and just just brief that's a really important point um there's a guy named john wellwood who uh who just recently passed away he was living in marin but he was actually bridging the gap between uh psychotherapy and buddhism and as well as a bunch of other people but he has this really beautiful quote that i share with my yoga students he says, when children are in pain or they're afraid, what they need from us most is our unconditional presence. And he said, and that's what our wounded places need from us as well, our unconditional presence. Um, and, and he says, uh, and that is enough to help us walk the path of our healing, pretty much is what he says. So yoga and meditation are tools to help us cultivate unconditional presence. And we need that for ourselves, and we need that for the beings in our life that are, we're caretaking because that's, that's what they need uh, for healing that, you know, when Quinn is hurting and I'm on my phone going, hmm, okay, yeah, babe. Um, or Stephanie needs to talk to me about something that she's going through. And I'm like checking my phone. It's really, it doesn't really help very much. You know, I got to put yeah. the phone down. I got to stay with it. And so it's healing. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think it's a very powerful point because presence can be uncomfortable. Sitting in Gosh. stuff can be uncomfortable. And oh so it does take that. That's really, those are growth moments, you yeah. know, I'm smiling really brightly because that's one of my growth moments right now. Like when Quinn's having, um, 
you know, when Quinn's having a tantrum or she just, and we call it like a major meltdown, Stephanie call mm-hmm. it, it's just like, okay, how, like, I just, I find myself kind of resisting and even maybe going to a point of frustration or impatience. Of course. And I, uh, my mind, I take a deep breath and my mind flashes to that experience for myself. And just doing that aspect, taking a deep breath and looking at that resistance, that, that impatience, that frustration is what actually melts it. It softens it. That's great. And so that's what the practice does. That's yeah, one of the things that's the a good tip. Does. Pete, you know, one thing I was thinking as you were talking, can I ask what the role of being a twin is in your life? Because <laughs> most of us are not twins. Most of us yeah. in the world are not twins. And I yeah. always think that that's a very unusual thing to be. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I you know, know you don't was, have the opposite feeling because you've only been a twin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my, some of you who are listening to this know my, my twin brother, Pat. Uh, Pat, uh, I jokingly say that uh, Pat and I are like uh, the movie twins. Uh, he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm Dan DeVito. He's super <laughs> tall, dark, and handsome. And, uh, and uh, we were super competitive growing. I think one of the reasons why is my mom had a C-section. And I jokingly, I was born first, but I might have been because uh, Pat was coming out breach and they kind of pulled me out first and then oh, Pat came second. Interesting. Um, and so we, yeah, we had a lot of sibling rivalry grow up and was, which is weird because we all had, we had the same best friends, we had the same high school, we went to the same college. Um, and so I was his best man. He was my best man. Uh, but it took a while for us to kind of work through uh, who we are. And I think a big part of that is we kind of got grouped together um, as Pete and Pat. And we weren't any a unique person in some ways. Mm. It took us a while to figure out who we were uh, and not glom together, which was great, too, by the way. I mean, that, we pretty much doubled our friendships uh, with people because it was like almost immediately, you know, here's my friend. Steve or Steve, and it's like, okay, cool, they're my best friends. Here's my friend, Tom, yeah. and Mike Barfield. You know, it's just like, it's just like best friend. So, um, huh. anyway, um, I, I, it's great now. I mean, I'm, I'm, I love all my brothers. I would, I would say I talk to my brother Pat the most. He's, I talk to him, you know, at least usually once a week, if not more, we connect and talk about things. But uh, at first, yeah. it was definitely a little more challenging. It's interesting because I think it's hard enough to figure out who you are in a way. And then you add in that element, not, you know, and that's just an unusual thing that I'm, I'm always curious about. Um, What about um, impactful books or what kind of has impacted you in that arena books or a movie? Yeah, I mean, uh, thanks for asking. I mean, there's, um, I mentioned The Alchemist is a great book. Um, You can find a lot of great books um, uh, around Buddhism. Um, You know, I'm just, uh, uh, can I I just turn away for a moment and grab one of my favorite books? Um, You know, um, one of the books that I've uh, been perusing and reading up on is a book by Rod Strucker called The Four Desires. He's a yogi. Uh, and he goes really deep into the Dharma. He also talks about um, so the the four desires, uh, the four aims of life are Dharma, finding your life purpose, 
Kama, which is, you know, finding uh, beauty and pleasure in the world. Artha, which is finding safety and security and moksha, which is finding liberation. And so uh, I would say that's a big influence. It's a really good reflection for those of you that are trying to find some balance in your life to reflect on where you're putting your energy and making sure that you're not creating more suffering in your world because you're putting way too much energy into pleasure, for example, and not putting enough pleasure, money and um, effort into uh, your purpose, for example. Huh. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, and then, you know, um, movies, I, I watch everything. Uh, I, I, it sounds like, like a, uh, an interesting plug, but I love the movie Cold Mountain uh, with Jude Law and Renee Zilliger and um, Nicole Kidman. If you got a chance to watch it, it's a really profound uh, journey story about love. But um, there's, um, it actually goes really great back into our conversation around purpose. Uh, there is a, a person in there, um, uh, what I call the goat lady, who's this healer who finds Jude Law. Okay, just briefly, Jude Law uh, de de um, defects and he, he gets caught. He's getting pulled. It's during the Civil War times, getting pulled back to the Southern uh, to fight in, against the North. He's in the South. He's a Confederate. Um, and so he, um, he, he um, gets his he's chained up next to uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and they all get killed, but he's alive. So he's actually dragging the bodies with him, trying to get a trying to break free. He's got chained up and he faints and he gets found um, by uh, the um, I'm finding the the, uh, the quote. He gets found by this goat lady who's a healer and she heal she heals him back to life pretty much. And she says to him, um, see, I think there's a plan. <laughs> there's a design for each and every one of us. You look at nature, bird flies somewhere, picks up a seed, shits a seed out, plant grows, birds got a job, shits got a job, seeds got a job and you've got a job. <laughs> Oh, I love it's it's, a, it's a, just a profound moment where he realizes that he has to make his way back to his love Nicole Kidman, right? Yeah. So he's getting done, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Sure. I really love it. Yeah. So here's a question for you. What trait do you love in others and what trait do you well, I used to say deplore in others, but people hate that word. So do you not love in others? <laughs> um, you know, I would say that the trait that really resonates with me um, as someone who, I mean, I think you kind of hold this trait in a really big way is vulnerability. You know, that's a really powerful trait that that I think, you know, I think Brene Brown's done a really good job of normalizing vulnerability and talking about the power of it. But I think it's like one of the most powerful things we can do, you know, it's like, yeah. and I think that's important for, you know, the teachers that I go to and the people that I find in my life, a sense of vulnerability. Um, and in fact, I think it's super important um, as we get challenged in relationships in our lives, whether it be work or family or uh, love relationships that we we explore vulnerability because if we don't soften around our hardness, it's going to lead to just tr trouble in a really big way um, with, you know, divorce and relationships and stuff like that. 
And I guess the opposite of that would be, uh, you know, just people that are um, the deplorable or the, the people that uh, are just um, hardened around that don't that, you know, don't open up, uh, aren't able to kind of find that soft spot. I, I wouldn't say I, I hate it, but it's just one of those things where I'm like, oh, OK, well, I, it's going to be hard for me to get to know you then. And we can't really go deep if, if you're doing that. Right. Yeah. That that's a great answer, because and you're you're so right. We are trained not to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. We human beings, yeah. I, you know, it's just, how are you? Fine. Yeah. You know, I mean, it is the training. Yeah. So part of our work, I guess, as human beings is to be vulnerable, which can be really tough work because we're just not good at it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think our, you know, generationally kids are much better at actually being vulnerable today. I look at, you know, my kids and even the things they say to me, I picture saying to my own mom and dad and I'm like, yeah, that wouldn't have gone over. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I mean, but I think that's, pause for a second, I should be here in the helicopter. But I think that is uh, also an indication of how they're being raised. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're, um, you know, exploring that in your own saying, hey, you know, I'm, I don't know if you do this, but, you know, I do this with Quinn, you know, we're here to help support you on your growth and and keep you out of trouble. And we're not, you know, we might not be the best papa and mama, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, you know, we're doing the best we can in this moment. And, you know, I'm sure you I, did the same, yes. you know, right? You modeled vulnerability yourself, right? I, I a yeah. thousand percent. And I yeah. always say, you know, it, it's your journey. And I do one of the, the things I think as as parents that we can teach each other and remind each other is that detachment, you know, that that is so important in life, that detachment. You do what you can do, but ultimately you have to recognize this is a different human being um, from yourself. And you kind of have to detach a little bit and watch and go, yeah, all right, good luck with that. You know, <laughs> I'm right here <laughs> if it doesn't work. <laughs> so, right, yeah. so true, yeah. So how about just, I know we're going to wrap it up soon because you're going to be teaching yoga. Mm -hmm. um, oh, let me ask you a question about that. Is yoga for everybody? Do you think that yoga is for everybody? Um, well, I, so I think it depends on how you quantify yoga. And so, um, I would say yes, generally yes. Um, but what yoga do you want to practice? Do you want to practice the yoga of devotion, which is called bhakti, which is really profound. It, it, it tends to be, uh, chanting the names divine, which if you've never done is pretty, it's really amazing. Even if you're not, not into like, um, the devotional aspect of it, it, it helps to support uh, your uh, vagal, um, vagal tone, which the vagus nerve is a wandering nerve that it can helps promote well-being. So bhakti, uh, there is the asana pra practice that I teach, there's pranayama practice that I teach, there's the um, yoga of um, going inside. There's, so there's all these different types of yoga. Uh, you know, yoga is, is not necessarily an asana practice. It's about kind of, it's about the underlying aspect of who you are and what you're doing in any given moment. So yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> Anybody can practice yoga. 
there's restorative yoga, there's yin yoga, there's again, just if you're if you're out there trying to find the yoga that resonates with you, just stay open, explore. I know that sometimes I mean, I live in San Francisco and the Bay Area, which has some of the best yoga teachers in the world, right? Yoga started here uh, in the late 1800s, yoga was brought here. And so it's been building ever since then. But just be aware, there's people online, you can check out things, but just keep exploring keep an open mind and see what resonates but make sure it resonates with you because you don't be doing stuff that doesn't make you happier doesn't, doesn't please you doesn't bring happiness into your world doesn't bring joy do you teach Thanks a specific type of asana i kind of have a blend of uh forest yoga which is a really deep practice uh kind of vinyasa practice which he'll hold pose for long periods of time gets you sweating and then i have a I blend buddhist meditation in there so there's a lot of intentional exploration i sprinkle it with a little bit of spirituality <laughs> just to kind of bring yeah. it all home yeah yeah and what are your goals i saw that you do retreats right yeah the retreats what are your hopes are you hoping to continue on do you think wow i'd love to what and I mean, that's a really good question. I think I should maybe hire you as my um, life coach. Um, you know, um, I, I think in some ways, um, the pandemic and having a four and a half year old has kind of thrown my world up and uh, I kind of um, uh, scattered brain, <laughs> you know, like the, sure. the, the, everything's kind of up in the air. But um you know, uh, I'm, I, I love teaching retreats. I love teaching uh, teachers. And so I, I imagine that you know, I'm going to keep just building that and seeing where it goes with making sure I honor the Dharma responsibilities yeah. of my family life too as well. So I guess we'll see. But I hope to keep teaching uh, classes, retreats, and trainings are my main I goals right now. I love too, Pete, that, you know, it feels to me like when you answered, your goal right now is this beautiful Quinn too. And seeing... Yeah. You know, and you, when you said that you actually brought me back to having, you know, a four and a half year old and it's consuming mm. as it should be, you yeah. know, it's, it, it's, it's really an incredible, um, gift. Yes. You know, as <laughs> yes. challenging as it is, like all, right. all really wonderful, profound gifts, um, it is also you know, one of the most uh, ch challenging doesn't even feel right, but things that you'll ever do, I think. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So anyway, I really Can appreciate I you coming on the podcast. I am so thankful, um, and I love just seeing you in the world. I love what you share. I love what you share on social media. I think you're an uplifter, oh, and thanks. that is one of my favorite qualities in somebody else i love people who leave me better than when they found me and that is some something i think about you so i appreciate that well thanks amanda that's really sweet and i appreciate what you're trying to do with your soulful connections podcast it's really sweet to see you doing the good work out there as well can i kind of leave you with a, another quote yeah i would love it <laughs> okay speaking uh, of uplifting right yeah um, so this might be worthwhile kind of for those of you listening, maybe placing your hands on your heart and closing the eyes that feels right for you. Maybe just taking a couple of deep breaths here. 
one of my favorite poets, maybe some of you know her, Mary Oliver, called The Journey, which is so perfect for us talking about um, our finding our purpose. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad, bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles. Mend my life, each voice cried, but you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do. Though the wind pried with the stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough and a wild night and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds. And there was a new voice which you slowly recognized as your own. That, you, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life that you could save. <laughs> so good to connect with you, Amanda. Thanks, Pete. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider giving it a great rating and following all the things you do when you like a podcast. Thank you to William Aronson for writing, producing, recording the Soulful Connections theme song. And once again, thank you for listening. I hope you keep tuning in.